Well, it's good to be back after not being here for three weeks speaking. I mean, I've been here. I just haven't been speaking on the weekends. In fact, somebody said, I heard you were in the Caribbean for three weeks. Does it look like I've been in the Caribbean? I've been at Allen Park speaking there. So, you know, Allen Park, Caribbean, pretty close. Anyway, uh, welcome to our guests. Welcome to everybody online. Hope you'll be able to join us in person very soon. Let me ask you a series of interrelated questions based on the idea of, of your identity. Who are you? Remember that old Who song, right? Who, 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 who are you? you maybe some of you have seen it on CSI. Now, I'm not talking about your name, but who are you really? What do you say about yourself? What is your life mission? Do you have a personal mission? Good questions, right? Well, this isn't about you know, navel-gazing and trying to look within or, or find some great motivational conference or some self-help books. This is all about Jesus. Who are you in Christ? This is about what God's got you here for. And it all centers around Jesus Christ. We're going to see how that works in our lives today as we continue on through the Gospel of John. Now, you may be a Christian, you may not. You may not be sure, but we're glad that you're here exploring. I'm excited about teaching through John. Never got to do this before. Uh, this is very important stuff because last week we saw Jesus reveal his identity. He is God. He's the Word. He's the Son. He's Messiah. Uh, he's divine, part of the Trinity. As we continue in chapter 1, we're not only going to see who he is, but we're going to see more about what he came to do. We'll see more titles given to him as well. Uh, he's, he'll be called the Lamb of God. He'll be called the King of Israel. All these titles come with job descriptions, right? All of them have a mission statement attached to them. And you may want to know who you really are and what you're here for. You may think that your life has no meaning, that you're a mistake, that you're never good enough. You're always looking to others. To what, what do they think of me? Which has led you to trying to gain their acceptance and their approval. Maybe you've, you've uh, turned to bulimia or alcohol or drugs or you've uh, longed for acceptance through sexual relations or you've um, looked for purpose in achievements or in higher pay. Trying to affirm your worth. You've got this hole in your life that you've been trying to fill up with anything and nothing's working. And so you're trying to find something that's going to make you feel worthy of notice or at least make you feel numb. Well, what does God think of you? What does he say? Well, we already know. He says that you're loved. You're valuable. You're not a mistake. And we know that because not only did he make you, but he sent his son to give his life for you, to make you right with God. Instead of being concerned about what people think of you, what does God think of you? You don't have to stay on the same path that you've been on. You don't have to keep trying to fill your life with all kinds of other things because only one thing is going to fill that hole. The only thing is, is Jesus. He's the only one that, that fits into that void in your life. And you, when you begin to follow him, he gives you a brand new identity and a new mission. And I'd urge you to embrace that identity because it's no longer about who you were or what you have done. It's about who you are now and what God's calling you to do with the rest of your life. You're no longer living for yourself or for others. You're living for God. Your, your life is all about Jesus now. And that's why our big idea is to follow Jesus and point others to him. 
That's what you're here for. That's part of your life mission. That's kind of a simplified version of it. Each one is a little bit different, but I think we need to keep it simple and brief. That way we can remember what it is. I mean, nobody wants a long mission statement. Maybe you work for a corporation that has some long statement. You can't even, you don't know what it says. I know many years ago we had a mission statement as a church, and it was so long, I didn't even know what it said. I couldn't even remember it. So how can I expect anybody else to? That's why we ended up making it very short and brief. It's all about winning downriver to Christ. So we're introduced to John the Baptizer. He's a relative of Jesus, a few months older, kind of an eccentric countercultural guy living out in the wild, eating bugs and honey and wearing rough clothes. And he, he's a guy who didn't get trained by the scholars. He didn't rise through the ranks of the religious institutions. He wasn't a rabbi with a synagogue. And yet people were flooding out to the Jordan River to witness this guy speak and see him dunk people in the river. And it was so powerful, some began wondering, maybe this guy is the actual Messiah that we've been promised for centuries. So what we're going to do in this passage is look at five days in John the Baptist's ministry. Back in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders caught wind of this. They saw everybody going out to the Jordan to, um, to witness this rural kind of strange guy. They said, we've got to do something about this. So they sent out a select committee to investigate. And so on day one, they questioned him. Who are you? And more than telling who he is, he tells them who he is not. They ask, are you the Christ? That's what we've been hearing. You're maybe the Messiah. I mean, that's what the word Christ is. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed one. This promised man of God who would be so special, he would be the anointed one. There had been many others anointed with oil set apart for special service to God. There were prophets and priests and kings, but this would be the anointed one who would fulfill all of those roles, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He was thought to be some kind of heroic deliverer who would reestablish the kingdom of Israel. In fact, he's portrayed that way to some degree in prophets like Isaiah, who paint him as sitting on the throne of David, the Prince of Peace. The government would rest on his shoulders. And yet Isaiah also portrayed him as a suffering, sacrificial servant. So kind of a mixed message there, wouldn't you say? So he says, nope, that's not me. I'm not that Messiah. All right then, well, are you Elijah? See, there was a prophecy that Elijah would come back. You might remember Elijah was a great prophet of God. He never died. He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. In fact, the prophecy in Malachi 4, 5 goes like this. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And by the way, that's almost the very last verse of the entire Old Testament. After that, there will be no more prophecy for over 400 years. It's just silence, not a word from God. No prophets until John the Baptist shows up on the scene and says, hey, there's someone coming. So you can see why people would think, well, this must be Elijah. Maybe, you know, Elijah never died. Maybe God sent him back from heaven. Or maybe he got reincarnated some way. But no, John says, I'm, I'm not Elijah. And he was right. Literally, he was not. Wasn't the same guy as Elijah, but Jesus will later point out that he really does fulfill that prophecy because he comes like Elijah to 
prepare the way for repentance and set things right as the forerunner to the Messiah. In fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. In fact, Jesus will say, John is the greatest person who's ever lived. So we would call him the second greatest, right, behind Jesus. You think about all the great people who have lived throughout history, certainly up until that time, men like Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Pharaoh Ramses, Xerxes, Confucius, all the great Bible heroes, Noah, Moses, Abraham, David. But no, John is greater than them all. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He's a big deal. He's trending. He's gone viral. And he could capitalize on all that fame and influence, but he doesn't. Instead, he humbly says, you know, it's not about me. It's about the one that's coming after me. And Jesus understood John's important role, that he would be the one to reveal him as the Messiah in Israel, that he would be the one to baptize him, that he is the Elijah figure. He is the silence-breaking prophet. He is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the final Hebrew prophet, the only one who ever got to actually see the one that he foretold. He got to see Jesus show up. And yes, uh, John was great, but he did not get to see the final fulfillment of what he prophesied. He didn't get to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't get to experience God's plan of salvation through Christ. That's why Jesus says in that very same verse, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Greater than John? Who, who's that? Us. We're least in the kingdom. How are we greater? Because we do know about the death and resurrection of Christ. We have experienced God's plan of salvation of grace through trust in Jesus. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. John didn't get to experience that. He knew he, who he was, but do you know who you are? Do you understand how, how great it is to know Christ? John was like, you know, I'm not the Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not great in the world's eyes, but I'm great in the Lord's eyes because I'm a servant of Jesus. That's what makes you great too. Just be a servant of Jesus. And speaking of the great lawgiver Moses, he was also a prophet. And here's what he foretold in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And that's why the Jewish select committee investigating John said, all right, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, maybe you're this prophet that Moses foretold. Is that you? John says, nope, that ain't me either. Who, who is the, the prophet? Well, we know it's Jesus because later Peter will affirm that in Acts 3. Jesus is that prophet like Moses. In fact, he's the greatest prophet of all. He's not only king of kings and lord of lords, he's prophet of prophets, the ultimate spokesman for God because he is God. So what's interesting is later on, Jesus will get transfigured on the mountain. You know the story? He goes up and he's radiantly, gloriously transfigured and God sends two men to stand next to Jesus. Who are they? Moses and Elijah, the great lawgiver and the great prophet. These are like the two greatest men 
in the Jewish faith. And they together represent the entire Old Covenant. And God somehow sends them back for a moment so that he can point out, listen to Jesus. Jesus is my son. He's greater than they are. All right. Well, you're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Who are you, John? John says, I'm the voice. And he refers back to these prophecies from Isaiah. He says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's me. I'm that guy saying, hey, you're all crooked. Straighten up. Get right with God. Prepare the way through repentance. I'm the one saying, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. I'm the one smoothing out the road, straightening it out for the Lord to arrive. So he's got this very strong sense of identity, who he is, of mission, what he's here to do. I'm here to call God's people to get right with him, to get ready for the Messiah. You know what? You can't really understand who you are until you understand who God is. John knew who he wasn't. He knew who he was because he knew who God was. And compared to Jesus, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm not even worthy to do a lowly slave's job of untying his sandals. Jesus is everything. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. That's the way it should be for all of us. Do you know him? Do you know who you are? That you're just a sinner who needs Jesus. You're no big deal. You're just a voice for him pointing people to him. Now those religious leaders, they asked him another question. All right then, if you're not the Christ, if you're not any of these great people, then what are you doing out here baptizing people? What's that all about? It's kind of a strange thing, right? Standing in the Jordan River and dunking people down into it? Where'd that come from? Well, it was meant to be a very dramatic display of repentance, of cleansing, of washing, of taking a bath. It had significance. John says, look, I'm here to reveal the Savior. You don't know who he is yet, yet, but ta-da, here he is. You're going to see him when I baptize him. That's a good question for us today, too. Why do you baptize? It's still kind of a weird thing, right? We lower people in water and bring them back up, and they're all wet and, you know, slipping all over the place. What's going on there? What's, why are we doing that? Well, we don't do it for the same reason John did it. I mean, we do it the same way he did it. We immerse people. Now, we don't have to trudge all the way out to the Detroit River to do that. But John went out to the Jordan River because there was a lot of water there. They went down into it. They came up out of it because it was like taking a bath. It was a picture of cleansing. Now, it wasn't a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection like it is for us because that hadn't happened yet. Jesus hadn't died and risen yet. So John's baptism was not Christian baptism like ours. But it was preparatory for that. And it wasn't sprinkling water and it wasn't pouring water like so many other denominations might do because the Greek word is baptizo and it means to submerge, plunge, dip, immerse. Doesn't mean anything else. And a lot is lost in, in what it, the significance of it is if we don't practice it that way. But our baptism, more than the method, is the meaning. It's so much more, so much deeper because here's what we're promised in Acts 2.38. Peter replies to the crowd. Everybody say this out loud together with me. Here we go. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
John's baptism didn't offer that. In fact, later on in the book of Acts, we'll find some disciples of John the Baptist, and they got to get rebaptized into Christ because they hadn't experienced that. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. But John says that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So baptism in water and the Holy Spirit go together in a number of passages like Titus 3.5, which says Jesus saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So Jesus came to be baptized by John, but not for the same reason that you and I do. And I know some people say, well, you should get baptized because Jesus did. It's not exactly true. We don't get baptized because Jesus did, because he didn't need to get baptized, right? He didn't need to repent for anything. John baptized Jesus to reveal him as God's son. And Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness, right? To to humbly identify with us, uh, just like he did in the womb of Mary and just like he did on the cross. He identifies with us. And when we get baptized, we identify with him but in his death and resurrection. At at baptism, the Spirit descended on Jesus as kind of an ordination or an anointing for him to launch his new ministry. This is the beginning of his ministry. So the Spirit came down, uh, not, I don't think, as a literal dove that sat on his shoulder for the next three years, but in some sort of physical, visible manifestation, representation of the Spirit to point out that this is the Son of God. And John got to witness all this. Imagine that, that he gets to see the Son of God there in the water, the Spirit of God descending on him and hearing the voice of the Father speaking from heaven, this is my Son. He witnessed the three persons of the Trinity all at the same time. Incredible, not too many people have gotten to do that. And you need to understand as well, Jesus did not become the Son of God at his baptism. Uh, That was often taught. He was just a mere man, and then when the Spirit came on him, that's when he became God. No, no, that's heresy. That that was a heresy 2,000 years ago. It's still a heresy today and still taught by some groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, Jesus was always divine. He was born the Christ, but the Spirit remained on him to empower him for his mission to do what nobody else could do. Because he could have sent any number of men to be prophets, priests, and kings, but only Jesus, as the sinless Son of God, could become our Savior. That's day one. (laughs) Day two, John points him out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What's that all about? What's What's the deal with a lamb? Well, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, God in his mercy allowed uh, spotless lambs to be sacrificed in the place of sinful humans as a substitute. Even though they weren't really a true substitute because an animal can't take the place of a human, God still allowed that as a way to show this substitutionary sacrifice until the coming of the one who could be the perfect sacrifice someone who could be both God and man. 
Because a lamb could never really suffer the penalty that we deserve. Yes, they suffered physical death, but not spiritual death, not separation from God. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Not only the physical death, but in his spirit, in his infinite spirit, he suffered the equivalence of hell as he bore the sins of the world, yours and mine. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice. After all those thousands of years of promises, thousands of years of animal sacrifices which could never remove sin, Jesus finally shows up. I'm here. And he's been publicly revealed for the very first time as that Savior. That's his mission. His one sacrifice was once for all. Effective for everybody. You know, usually religions are all about us, the insiders. Or this, this, this is just the Jewish Messiah. No, this is for the whole world. In fact, in heaven, he's praised in Revelation 5 as worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's our, he's our lamb. And by the way, this is not the first time John has seen Jesus. The other three Gospels, we call the synoptics because they, they tell a lot of the same stories, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They talk about the baptism of Jesus. John actually didn't, if you notice. The, the, the movie did, showed him being baptized, but John skips over that. They already knew about that. As soon as Jesus got baptized, he went off into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. This is now him coming back. He shows up again, and John is reflecting back on that baptism. And now on day three, he points him out as the Lamb of God again. And a couple of John's disciples believe it, and they transfer their allegiance to Jesus. One of them was Andrew. We don't know who the other one was, doesn't say, but we presume it was John. Because these four brothers were all fishing, partner, uh, fishing business partners, right? Peter and Andrew, James and John. In fact, um, well, you think about what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner. Uh, it's an apprentice to a teacher uh, or to some sort of a master. Rabbis were Jewish teachers who had disciples following them. Today, if you want to learn, you've got to choose a school and hope they'll accept you. Back then, you would choose a, a rabbi and hope they would accept you because the rabbi got to choose. So that's what's going on here. Jesus asked these two guys an application question. <laughs> uh, just one question. He doesn't ask, uh, what's your GPA? What schools did you go to? What's your class ranking? What kinds of experiences have you had, awards and recognition? No, just one question. Good question. What are you seeking? Like, why do you want to follow me? What are you in this for? Still a good question for us today. Why are you in this? What do you really want? So they stay with him the rest of the day and presumably overnight, and then day four, the next day, What's Andrew do? He goes and tells his brother, Simon Peter, hey, we found the Messiah. And he brings him along to Jesus. Right? We found the Messiah. That, that's really what we're talking about. That's your life mission. That's your purpose. That's the way it's supposed to work. When you become a Christian, you reach out to your family first and your close friends. You say, hey, guess what I found? And you bring them to Jesus. I'm following him. How about you join me? Let's follow him together. Again, follow Jesus and point others to him. And Jesus gives 
Simon a nickname, calls him Rocky. I mean, that's what Peter means, Rocky. Have you ever gotten a nickname Anybody based on maybe your past? Uh, my wife, when she was young, Penny, everybody called her Penguin. And so to this day, our house is filled with all kinds of penguin junk everywhere. Back in the, when I was a kid, one of my best friends was Scott. Now everybody at school called him Gizmo because he was kind of geeky. I wouldn't do that to my buddy. I didn't call him Gizmo. I called him Scrons. <laughs> I don't know why. You just look like a Scrons. <laughs> but still a buddy. Great guy. Maybe you gave yourself a nickname. I mean, people might give you a nickname based on how you look or something you've done in the past. Maybe you named yourself, you get, back in the day, you might give yourself a CB radio handle. Remember those? Or today, you, you give yourself a great gamer tag. Or maybe you're very inspired by Top Gun, right? So, you know, you want a name like Maverick or Goose or Iceman, right? But the kind of nickname Jesus gives Peter is not based on what he's done in the past or how he looks. It's based on his future role, what he's going to do, the potential he sees in him. You're going to be like a rock. You're going to be a solid leader that's going to emerge later. By the way, let's be clear. The church isn't built on Peter as the rock. It's built more upon the confession Jesus, or, uh, Peter made about Jesus and really the rock of all the apostles and prophets because Ephesians 2.20 says God's household is built on the foundation, on the rock, the slab of the apostles and prophets because they speak God's word. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. But that's not yet. Peter is definitely not a rock yet, though he will become part of the inner circle of three, right? The three disciples we see hanging out with Jesus closest are Pete, Jim, and John, which is kind of a bummer for Andrew because it's these two sets of brothers, right? Peter and Andrew, James and John. Peter, Andrew, Peter and James and John are all the inner three. Andrew's kind of left out. And he's always, whenever there's a list of disciples, he's included in the next tier of three disciples. He's grouped along with Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew. And these are the two guys that come on next. Day five, Jesus finds Philip. He invites him, come follow me. What's the first thing Philip does? Goes and grabs his buddy Nathaniel. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Again, that's the way it's supposed to work. By the way, Nathaniel is the same guy as Bartholomew. I mentioned the three that are lumped together, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew. Nathaniel is like his, his first name. Bartholomew is more like a surname, kind of like it means Bart's son. So same, same guy, but he's a doubter. He's looking down on Jesus because he's a Nazarene. I guess it was kind of a popular thing to say, ah, Nazarenes, they're not worth anything, so that can't be the Messiah. But he, he decides to follow his buddy anyway and go check it out. And when Jesus sees Nathaniel come and he blows his mind and says, oh, there's the real deal right there. That guy's a real Israelite. There's nothing fake about him. He's no phony. And Nathaniel's like, well, what are you talking, who do you, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, which was impossible. And that's all it took. Nate's all in. He's like, oh, pff, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. That's all it took. It's kind of like those hardcore atheists you think would never be interested in Jesus. But once you flip that switch, once they believe, they're all in. They become some of the most hardcore, committed, sold-out Christians, right? So you never know. That friend, oh, they, they'd never be interested in Jesus, that Nazarene, no. Once they become convinced, they're in. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's kind of funny because Jesus tells Nathaniel, that's, that's it? That's all it took? <laughs> Buddy, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come along. And so he takes his six new disciples, starts off on this new mission, this new movement, and they head to Cana where he's going to perform his first real miracle, turning water into wine. And we're going to get to that next week. But he says, you know what? One day you're really going to see something. You're going to see me in my full glory with the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which was one of his favorite nicknames for himself, the Son of Man. Man, I'm both fully human, I'm fully God, because it was a divine title way back in the book of Daniel. I'm, I'm the stairway to heaven, man. I'm the, I'm the bridge. I'm the ladder. You can't get to heaven except through me. So let me ask you those same questions I asked you at the very beginning. Who are you, really? What do you say about yourself? What is your life mission? Are you all about Jesus? Are you all in? Follow Jesus and point people to him. Hopefully your life mission statement is pretty close to that. I mean, let me ask, how many here came to faith in Jesus uh, because a, a family member shared their faith with you or drug you to church or drug you to youth group? How many came to Jesus because of family members? All right, a whole bunch of you. How many came because of a friend, close friend, business associate, somebody you work with? Let me see hands with friends. Okay, you put that together and that's most people. That's the way it works. You say, but I can never do that. I can't reach out to my family and friends because I'm not bold like John the Baptist. and I don't know that much about the Bible and I'm too nervous to talk about Jesus. Come on, I think you could do a lot better than you think you could because God's going to help you. But at least be an inviter and a bringer. Practice invitational evangelism. Hey, come and see. Bring them to church where they can get exposed to the message of Christ. I hope you will join Jesus on the greatest cause, the greatest mission, the greatest movement in all the world because that's what's going to fill that hole in your life. It's going to give your life meaning. It's going to give you purpose. One day, you're going to see even greater things, so don't miss out on any of that. All right, he's been revealed to you today. What's going to be your response? Are you going to receive him or are you going to keep on rejecting him? I hope today you will, that switch will flip and you will be all in for Jesus. That you'll receive him as Savior, you'll, you'll repent of your sins, you'll be baptized into him today. Again, we're not going to take you to the river, we're just going to take you to this pool right behind me, this baptistry full of warm water, and there's uh, towels and robes and clothes, everything you need to be baptized into Christ today. So text your name, email if you're online, if you're here, we'll get back to you right away, but even better, if you're here on site, come to the front in the next few minutes while the music is playing, Meet with one of my friends up here. They would love to answer your questions to help you take your next step, to pray with you, to get you ready for your baptism, whatever you need to do today. And who, hey, you're going to heaven, but are you taking anybody with you? Who are you going to invite to come with you next week as we continue on in John? We're just getting started about Jesus. It's Father's Day too, so great time to invite family members to join you. So I hope you'll help us win down river to Christ. And if you're, if you're already a Christian, this is going to be another way to respond is by taking communion. If you're not yet a Christ follower, again, come up and talk to somebody in the next few moments or just hang out where you are, pray, reflect, think. But this is a, a time when we share in the bread and the cup. You come in each week, you get the little kit. And they're small, but they're, they're big in significance because they remind us 
of what Jesus came to do to be our sacrifice, to give his life on the cross, to be our lamb. You know, going back to the Old Testament, animal sacrifices go all the way back to Cain and Abel, right? Abel sacrificing his, his flocks. And all the way up to the time of Jesus, they would celebrate every year this Passover feast because the most significant lamb was the Passover lamb that reminded them of their deliverance from Egyptian slavery and how the, the plague of the death angel passed over their homes because they had taken the blood of a lamb and smeared it over their door, doorposts. And that's what spared them. That's the origin of the Last Supper. And Jesus gave it this new meaning that it's now my body, my blood. I'm your Passover lamb. Once and for all. Let's use this time to grow in our faith in Him. Lord, wow, we need Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Our youth need Jesus. And we want it to be all about You. We know that we're not mistakes, that we have meaning because You give us meaning. So God, help me to see myself through Your eyes and to see others through Your eyes. I want to care more about what you think about me. And I know, God, that I, I uh, disobey you and I disappoint you. But you're merciful and you offer forgiveness. So help me to keep growing and following you more closely. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. I want you to be the center of my life, the core of my life. I want you to be my identity. And I want to pray, Father, for those who are trying to find their identity right now, that trying to fill that hole with substitutes that you'd move them to receive your son today. Open their eyes. Let them embrace your grace, Lord. And then use us to point others to you. Open doors for us to share Jesus. Open their eyes to see. Go before me and prepare the way and give me the words to say. God, strengthen us to be evangelists, to be inviters and bringers because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the music plays in the next few moments, feel free to come down to the front here or to share in communion.